The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Woo, boys, it is time. Week one is finally here. Uh, Thursday, we will have a bunch of games kicking off week one, and then the weekend hits you with games on Thursday, games on Friday, games on Saturday, Sunday night, FSU and LSU, and Monday night, Clemson and Georgia Tech. We had a fun draft um, for uh, putting together our ideal viewer's guide, one game for each slate on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. That was on Monday. If you want to get a feel for some of the games that you want to keep your eyes on, between all of us, we gave... Uh Uh-oh. (laughs) Uh-oh. That's a great still shot, though, of our guy, Chip. Like That is animated. That just is the show in a nutshell right there. That still shot we got of our guy, Chip. (laughs) All right. Well, now that he's gone, we can finally yeah. start the show. <laughs> um, you twist yeah. straight, Tom. Oh. There, he, hey Chip, you died. You were gone for a good thirty seconds. Did you switch with it? Barton's old internet provider? <laughs> oh, no, I like I, I probably spent too, I spent time with Barton in person, and I think I caught his internet. Yeah, yeah it rubbed off. Yeah, I need to quarantine for ten to fourteen days and, and find ways to get uh, 
to, to get new internet. All right, Tom, do, do you have some gloating that you want to do? Because we did have a poll to, on who won the draft. And, and I believe, I believe you were the winner. Oh, did I win? I, I wasn't aware that I won the poll with the draft <laughs> of who had the best draft. I thought Bud had won because Bud was on Twitter, you know, campaigning for votes. And I just simply set out one tweet that said, Hey, vote in our poll. We all know you're going to vote for me because I clearly won the draft. And wow, it turns out that I did win the draft. So, you know, maybe, maybe Bud needs better campaign manager next week when we do it again. I'm, I'm just excited that I got 10% of the vote with this sicko <laughs> slate that I'd put together that, that some listeners said it looked like I was trying to get a confession out of somebody with, uh, with that, that was a great slate. tweet. Yeah. <laughs> The Alabama um, A&M UAB game as the lead game for my weekend, I think severely <laughs> damaged my hope of winning the thing. It, it made way more sense as a late round pick in the draft than it looked right. on the sheet where it's like, this is what I want to start my college football weekend with. A number one. Yep. Uh, all right. So we want to, obviously, we're going to tackle some mailbag questions here today. Best way for you to get in on a future mailbag episode is to leave us a five-star review. And in that review, put your question. We'll add it to the big old bag of mail. But before we do, I uh, wanted to, and Tom Fernelli has a game show that he wants to unveil with Danny and I as the participants. Looking forward to that. But a big part of the headlines and the news that we've had leading into week one is the release of the depth charts. And with the release of the depth charts, we have the uh, the quarterback battles that are being settled. However, not every quarterback battle is settled. So uh, wanted to roll through, not totally game show here, but wanted to roll through a couple of quarterback situations and let's predict how this plays out. Uh, first of all, a shout out to Brandon Marcello of 24-7 Sports. That man has been keeping track of all 131 quarterback battles leading up to week one. And that is the start for Bama. Who won Bama's? I think it was um, it was Brock Young. <laughs> Brock Young is going to be the starting quarterback for Alabama. But he's hey, listen, on, on Brandon's post on 24-7, he does have Alabama listed. It is not an assumption. You got to at least check in on such things. That would so be it, hilarious, though, if like, Alabama comes out in its opener against Utah State and Bryce Young's not starting. <laughs> I mean, they'd still Rest. win. Yeah. They'd uh -huh. probably still cover. <laughs> well, then if Alabama's still won and covered, would that invalidate Bryce's Heisman win? Oh, yeah. would they'd be like product system QB. <laughs> yes. That that is uh that's that is a the possibility here. Mm -hmm. All right, let's uh let's start going through some of these. We will start at it was in the SEC with LSU where we've got Jaden Daniels, Garrett Nussmeyer. Remember Miles Brennan has decided to end his football career. That man likes hunting and I don't blame him. He doesn't want to get hit. He wants to uh get out there and hunt for a little bit. Good on him. Uh best of luck. Brian Kelly has come out and said that they've made a decision on the starter. They're just not going to announce it. Claims that it would be a, you know, an advantage for Florida State heading into that season opener for the Tigers. So, how do you think it plays out at LSU? Jaden Daniels or Garrett Nussmeyer? Jaden Daniels. I don't even. I mean, it's it's Brian Kelly. So, guys that aren't even on the team yet will probably play quarterback at some point this season. But it's going to be Jaden Daniels. And I think when Brennan stepped away, that kind of clinched it because Nussmeyer had been – he'd missed practice time because he was banged up, hadn't he? So 
I mean, Daniels has been the only guy that's been there every single practice, as far as I know, getting all those reps, probably most of them with the first team. So I think Daniels will be the starter. I'm the same. Do you think they'll see both? Or do you think it's Jaden Daniels, and if he plays well, you roll with him? I, I think, think that's the more interesting question, because I think you might see both. But I would lean towards Jaden Daniels getting the start because – the upside, I think the running potential and what you can do with him as a quarterback, when you have a guy who can run the way that he can, which I don't think Garrett Nussmeyer's in the same class as far as an athlete, it puts the defense in a bind. And I think you would lean that if there's no separation, if they're both kind of new to the system, look the same in practice, I think you lean to the guy that's more of a run threat to open some of those RPOs and some of the run pass option stuff that happens. Yeah, I think if both play, it's either great news or terrible news for Florida State. Because I do think that, like Brian Kelly, it's he does have a hook with his QBs and he does throw guys out there, but it's kind of like the spurrier hot hand approach. Like, if the guy is playing well, he's probably going to keep rolling with him. But if he starts getting into trouble, then he'll try to mix things up. So, yeah, I think it's possible. But I think if Jaden Daniels, there's a very real chance he just plays the entire game as long as he doesn't play poorly. Okay, well, what about in uh, from... Alabama's uh, or from LSU's opener. Uh, how about to Georgia's opener? Obviously, we know that Stetson Bennett, the king, is going to be uh, taking the starter snaps for the Bulldogs. But for Oregon, we've got Bo Nix and Ty Thompson. Who do you think is going to have the unenviable task of going up against Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith, Keely Ringo, and the Bulldogs defense? Bo Nix. Spodex, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, that's why they brought him in. I think that, you know, obviously they wanted a quarterback they were more comfortable with and they thought they were familiar with and they could run in their offense. He's got familiar, familiarity with the playbook with the offensive coordinator. And I think he's also got familiarity with Georgia. Like, you know, Auburn plays them. So it's not like it's going to be the first time he's seen it. It's not going to be anything new to him. So I feel like there's a chance he's not the only quarterback who's going to play, but I do think that he's locked in. He's the starter. I think that's why he's there. Agreed. I think it's Bo Nix. Uh, Ty Thompson, I think, a little disappointed he didn't threaten last year. I think maybe he's, you know, I don't want to say over his head, but another new system. You know, mm -hmm. it's hard for young quarterbacks. Bo Nix has played a lot of football, man. He's got a lot of starts in the SEC. I, and I bet Bo Nix practices really well, just a hunch, you know, just haven't been around a lot. I think that matters. You know, I think he'll just be cleaner, crisper, and you go with a guy with a veteran experience in that environment who's played in SEC environments before. I think it's pretty easy. It's Bo Nix. Kenny Dillingham is the offensive coordinator for yep. Dan Lanning's Oregon team. He was the offensive coordinator at Auburn for Bo Nix's freshman year. Uh, I also believe that the answer here is, is going to be Bo Nix. Uh, what about... Also, you could also argue Bo Nix's freshman year was his best year. Yes, without a doubt. I mean, he was the SEC Offensive Rookie of the Year. So that was mm -hmm. the... And do you remember who he beat in his first start? Oregon. And he threw that touchdown, touchdown late in the right? game. Yeah, and we were all like, oh my God, Bo Nix is going to be a For superstar. Heisman. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was our first glimpse. Into, hey, this, guy does, this guy does some awesome stuff. And then we hadn't seen the other stuff yet. So it was just like, this guy's going to be phenomenal. He's like, he might be better than Cam Newton. Didn't quite pan out that way. No. no. Oh, we lost uh -oh. Chip again. All right. So, All right. Can uh, we keep it moving? <laughs> On to the next. 
But no, I mean, I want to ask you a question, though, because with Bo Nix taking over that job in all likelihood, like, do you think he is going to be better off playing in the Pac-12 than he had to be in the SEC facing all those teams every single season? So do I think he'll play better against defenses that aren't as fast and physical and loaded with NFL talent? Yes, I think he will. I actually think he could have a year that will challenge. I don't think he's going to put up numbers like Caleb Williams. I think Cam Rising will be you know, the second best thing. And then I think Bo Nix will be in a pretty good position to maybe be the third best quarterback. DTR's there at UCLA. I think he's flying under the radar, but I think he could easily be a, a top three quarterback in the Pac-12 without question. Oh, hey, Chip. Yeah, back. Uh, Cincinnati, Ben Bryant or Evan Prater? Who do you think ends up starting? Uh, This, like, Fickle's doing a pretty good job of keeping this close to the vest, but I'm going to go with Bryant simply because I think that, you know, Cincinnati coming off the playoff berth, Desmond Ritter has been the starter there for a long time. And you're starting the season with a tough game against Arkansas. And I feel like he's going to want to go, even though Bryant doesn't have a ton of experience, I think he's going to want to go with the guy who's been there longer and has more leadership, you know, I guess, credit in the locker room, more experience. And I feel like in a game like that, in an environment that's going to be difficult, you want to go with the guy that's more reliable. But I do think both are going to play because they are they are different players. Bryant is more of your prototypical kind of, you know, pocket passer type. And Prater has more of, you know, he, he can run a bit more. He brings more dynamism to what you do offensively. So I wouldn't be, he's, he's more like Ritter, honestly, than I think Bryant is. So I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if Prater gets some playing time, but I think that to start the game, it's going to be Bryant just to make sure that they don't get, they don't put themselves in a hole early. So Bryant started his career at Cincinnati, then went to Eastern Michigan played a year, and then's coming back to Cincinnati. Some to me says that he came back because he knows he's got a pretty good chance to win that job, and he's got familiarity with the system, so I'm going to go with Bryant, too. We have a changeover at offensive coordinator, too. Mike Denbrock mm-hmm. was hired away from Cincinnati uh, to go be the LSU uh, offensive coordinator, so that's uh, the. I agree with you, Danny. If you're coming back, it means that uh, you're coming back to likely be a part of something that's probably the play there. Okay. Sonny Dykes, the new TCU head coach, ind- has suggested that they might play one, two, three different quarterbacks. I think it's two is what we're talking about here. Max Duggan or Chandler Morris. Who do you think ends up getting the start for the Horn Frogs? Hmm. I think Morris. I, I know Duggan's been there and he's got plenty of experience, but I just think that with Sonny coming in, like Morris is much more suited, I think, to his offense than Duggan is. Not that Duggan can't run it. I just think that Morris has much more experience in the playbook, has been running very similar offense his entire career. So I think that that alone is probably going to give him an advantage. But I do think this is another situation. Like, honestly, I don't think we're going to see them play three. But the fact that, it's not entirely out of the question 
tells me that it might it might be another like Jim Harbaugh at Michigan situation, except, you know, instead of doing a weird thing, he's just like, no, I'm going to play them all. We're going to let it, you know, handle itself. So it's it'll be interesting to see. But this is a somewhat this is a kind of game. It's like you kind of wish if you're TCU, you had a softer opening than Colorado. You'd, you'd kind of love Colorado? to be yeah, on you'd the kinda, road. Yeah, you'd kind of love to be playing an FCS team this week with this quarterback situation just to figure things out a bit more. But I do think Morris will start. I think Duggan will play. I think that this one's not really decided yet. Yeah, I would say this is more one of the open battles, too. I think it'll be Chandler Morris when it's all said and done. Mm-hmm. Do you think he's a better quarterback? Mm-hmm. I do. You've seen a lot more of uh, Duggan, who's just been a little bit inconsistent. I think he's more of a runner, and I think they want to throw the ball a little bit more, and I think Chandler Morris will excel more in the pass game. Yeah, it's funny because like I think of Max Duggan. He plays in purple and for TCU, but he strikes me as a Kansas State quarterback. Mm-hmm. Hey. Uh, not bad. All right, and then finally, Indiana, where we have former Missouri quarterback Connor Bazelak. Uh, in Indiana, I guess incumbent. You know, he was the backup for Michael Penix, got pl- played every single time that Michael Penix was hurt. Jack Tuttle and Dexter Williams. What do you think ends up happening with Indiana's offense? Who ends up being the starter there? It's got to be Bazelak. Same same idea where we're saying like you don't transfer. I mean, this is another um, brand. This is another Brandon Marcello story that he's been working on. But I think that the final count is going to be over fifty percent of the starting quarterbacks mm-hmm. at the FBS level are transfers. And do you think you just copy and paste that assumption that Connor Bazelak did not show up to play behind Jack Tuttle? It's not so much that as it's Jack Tuttle has been there for years, and. Tom Allen and that staff are familiar with what Jack Tuttle is, and they went into the transfer portal, and they got Connor Bazelak, who, I mean, he didn't, if you look at his numbers last year at Missouri, they're not exactly eye-popping numbers. Like, they're a lot of short passes for a high completion percentage, but there really wasn't much pushing the ball down the field, a lot of bubble screens and that kind of stuff. But I do think that that's better than the numbers Tuttle put up for the most part. So I feel like, yeah, Bazelak transfers in. I don't think they have a great option, but I think Basilak has the higher ceiling. So I think at home, home opener against a Big Ten team, it's probably going to be Basilak. And there's probably some hope that, hey, you know, fresh start, maybe not playing in the SEC, getting in the Big Ten instead of the SEC will provide, a, make it a little, you know, more room for him to maneuver. But yeah, I don't, I don't think if, if Indiana wins this game, I don't think it's going to be because of its quarterback. Agreed. Defense. Uh, Bazelak showed me flashes when he was at Missouri. I kind of mm-hmm. like his skill set. I think it's probably going to be more the same, though. You know, it is easier defenses, but you're still on a lower tier team in your conference where it's an uphill battle to get good protection, to get a great run support, you know, great run game support. So I think it'll be Bazelak, but I'm curious to see. Walt Bell's our offensive coordinator, huh? That's who they went with. Yeah. Because it was a disaster. Uh, Nick Sheridan, when DeBoer left to take the Fresno State, now Washington job. I think they just they elevated from within and said, oh, okay, you just call those plays, and it did not work out great. So maybe a fresh system will help with Indiana's offense too. Also, I want to see what Indiana has at receiver because I don't really, you know, it's there's nothing We've there. Lost I, all yeah. the like names that we knew. Mm-hmm. So it's it's going to be interesting to see. I think that could be bigger than the actual quarterback. I think it's going to be the guys catching the ball, and making plays. They're also going up against a Ryan Walters defense that was downright salty and causing problems in the second half for Nebraska. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what you're going to do right there. I don't know how you're going to handle it on a Friday night with the fighting Illini in town. It's true. Yeah. 
Coming up on the other side, we dive into the big old bag of mail, including an idea for the future of Nebraska's head coach and a specific question for Florida and Utah, plus Tom's hot new game show ready to sweep the nation next. My days working and taking care of my little ones can be a lot. I checked out care.com and it was so easy for me to find local, experienced, and background check sitters. Finding our babysitter was way more affordable than I thought. Care.com makes it super easy. Search for qualified candidates. You can view their profiles, read reviews and ratings, check their availability, send messages directly, get the help that you need. Care.com should be every person's go-to. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. That's right, UEFA Champions League coming up on Paramount Plus group stage, but also Europa Conference League group stage action coming up too. So yeah, I know everybody's, uh, everybody's ready for Fiorentina against RFS and hearts and the other teams from <laughs> latvia and scotland and- come on pronounce their names let that should be the game show right there <laughs> <laughs> uh okay this first question from the big old bag of mail a reminder leave us a five-star review put your question in that review we will tackle it in a future mailbag episode so this is from d ham hard to imagine scott frost being back next season Let's assume the interest would be mutual. I guess that means mutually parting ways. What would the next five seasons look like if Urban Meyer was their head coach? Uh, Started here. Let's go. Start the push. A lot of press. A lot of columns about how terrible it is that Nebraska is doing it. And then they would probably start winning games. (laughs) I, I don't know. Like... If you look at what Urban has done in his career since leaving Utah when he left for Florida, like he came back to coach at Ohio State, which is a program you can win a national title at. The question at this point is, do you look at Nebraska and think that's a place I can win a national title? I think that's the bigger question facing Nebraska right now than, you know, who you get to replace Scott Frost. I think there's something of an identity crisis going on with that program because, it, it is a program that has had history of competing for national titles, but is that going to be the reality in this new era? And does it still have that kind of cachet? Would Urban Meyer, be, like, I don't have any doubts that Urban would be able to recruit because he's Urban Meyer, but would he be able to recruit at the level he was able to do at Ohio State, that he was able to do at Florida? Would he be able to convince kids to come to Nebraska and play there with Nebraska being 
as lackluster as it's been. Because if you think about the kids he'd be recruiting if he took over the job next year, like those entire kids' cognizant lives of maybe paying attention to college football, Nebraska has not been good. So I don't think it would be just an immediate Urban Meyer steps in and Nebraska's good again, but I, I think they'd probably be better than they are now. It's just, is that enough for Urban? I doubt it. There's no way he's taking this job. No? No way. I'm not ruling it out. So oh. I think Urban Meyer's at a place where he still has enough cachet, even with the disaster that was Jacksonville in the NFL. He's not going to take a job unless he knows he has an edge, which is a place where you can have more talent than the other teams. And I think that was the case at Utah when they were still in the Mountain West. I think he knew he could gain that edge going to Florida. And I think he had that edge. You know, he walked into a great situation at Ohio, Ohio State. It's more of a rebuild. I don't – and that's why I do think like the Texas stuff always comes up. I do think that would be attractive because I think he would view that as a place where, yeah, we're Texas. We can get anybody we want. I do think it's a unique aspect to Nebraska because they are they have such a great fan base. They would shell out money that in this new NIL era, maybe you could buy, you know, buy your way back to relevance, buy some of those recruits. But I just don't know, especially now that USC and Miami are back in the game and Texas, like there's a lot more, no offense to Nebraska fans, but there's a lot more desirable place, mm-hmm. places to play where you know you're probably going to win faster and it'll, it'll, just, it'll be a little bit easier and you can make just as much money, if not more. I think that's just a job that Urban Meyer would say, no, I'm, I'm above that, which is kind of crazy, but I do think he would pass on it. I also think a key part of where Urban goes next if he returns to a college program at any point is that the bars on campus will have to have a strict no phones policy. You got to leave them at the door. <laughs> See, I was going to say Nebraska is the kind of insular community where they might be able to you know, keep the trust tree right there and be able to... <laughs> You know, get get everybody on the outside and be able to keep things from getting out. I think that the NIL era, I think that the transfer portal era could inspire Urban Meyer to look at Nebraska and say that is a place where I can win a national championship. I think that Urban Meyer can look at what Lincoln Riley has done to flip a USC roster in one year, and he can think, I I can go and do that if I can mobilize this, I mean, if the Nebraska fan base, if the Nebraska boosters get that whiff of national championship that Urban Meyer brings with his three national championships, I think that they would mobilize. Again, Mm. would Urban Meyer take it? I do not claim to have any personal relationship with Urban (laughs) Meyer or understanding of where his head's at, but I would say that Urban Meyer can win a national championship at Nebraska if he wanted to take that job. And it is because of the transfer portal and the NIL era and the example of what we saw from, and look, Lincoln might not even win big. I mean, that team could go eight and four and end up in the Alamo bowl playing against Oklahoma. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I think that Urban Meyer could say, look, I could, I could take over Nebraska and in one, two years, we, we could have the kind of talent to compete for a Big Ten title. I I think it could could work. Here's why it wouldn't, and this is why Lincoln Riley took the USC job. 
the state of California, the West Coast had mm-hmm. been pilfered by the SEC, by Clemson, by the powerhouses across college football. Lincoln Riley knew there was a void that was just begging somebody to step in and say, mm-hmm. hey, you can stay at home. So he stepped into it. Mario leaves Oregon. Because, Oregon, you have all those resources, all of those resources. You've got the deepest pockets out there in Phil Knight. And I guarantee you, Phil Knight told Mario Cristobal, I'll give you whatever you want. Whatever. He is desperate for a national championship. Phil Knight wants one for Oregon before he, you know, his time is up, which is, you know, he's in his 80s. And Mario said, I got a guy in Miami and I got a lot more talent in my state. I can go down there. Like, I think it's just, I think that's a challenge for Nebraska that they're going to face no matter who they're trying to lure to get there. And that's the other thing, too, if you're urban, you got to consider is, A, like Chip, you mentioned how quickly Lincoln was able to flip things around at USC. Well, yeah, it's much easier to convince kids to go to Southern California than it will be to Nebraska. And I say that as somebody who likes Lincoln, Nebraska. But the other thing you have to consider is at Nebraska, you've not only got to go through Ohio State, but you're going to have to go through Lincoln Riley's USC here pretty soon as well. So I don't know that a national title is truly going to be a realistic goal, even with Urban Meyer at Nebraska anytime soon. You know what they did? They brought back the wrong former player. They should have gone and got Tommy Frazier and brought back the triple option to Lincoln and said, let's bring back the glory days. There's your blueprint. I'm surprised, Tom, you're not pounding the table with me because I know you're dying for another Power 5 team to bring back the triple option. I mean, who better would it be than Nebraska? I would, I mean, I would love it. I would, I would love it. I don't think you're going to be able to sell it to Nebraska right now, but I do think, again, that is something that a lot of teams need to start considering because it's the, the sport is cyclical. Zig when everybody else zags, and that is definitely a zig. Good question from John in the chat. Remember, we always uh, appreciate, especially during these mailbag shows, you uh, jumping in with questions and we will address them. John asks, what other blue blood job is realistically opening this year or even jobs in that next tier? So if Nebraska is open and we've debated Nebraska's blue blood status, even on this show, what other jobs would be in the running for whoever those top candidates are? Well, I, I don't I don't think there are any blue blood programs or like the coaches on a hot seat right now. But we saw last year Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma to take USC. Brian Kelly left Notre Dame to take LSU. So if something comes open, it could cause some dominoes. And I just looking the lot a couple commenters are mentioning Auburn. I'm sorry, guys. I don't consider Auburn a blue blood. You've got Alabama an hour to the west and Georgia an hour to the east. You're more likely than not going to be living in hell for a while there. But I don't know if Jim Harbaugh gets the NFL dalliance going again next year. Does Michigan come open? I mean, that's like, let's not forget. I feel like we just kind of just dismissed the fact that Jim Harbaugh was interviewing for an NFL job on national signing day. I don't know if that's completely put away. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but still that's, that's an odd situation. I, what other like is there an SEC job that you would consider a national title contender? And again, I'm sorry, Auburn. I don't consider you a blue blood, but are any of those jobs coming open? Because LSU just filled. Does Saban retire? That's the only one. It's like if Saban suddenly wins a national title and says, "All right, cool, peace out. It's been great. I'm the greatest of all time. Good luck without me." Does Urban Meyer go to Alabama? I doubt it, but maybe Dabo does. Then maybe Clemson comes open, and there's all sorts of dominoes that could go. Florida State. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the one that's kind of glaring out there. Um, it could get complicated. I mean, the start week one, we'll see what happens Sunday night. I hope it doesn't. I want to avoid that. I don't want a fractured fan base. But, you know, if you're six and six, there's going to be, you know, some strong push to move on to the next coach. I don't think that happens. I think if it's seven and five, you at least have some momentum. If it's anything above that, you're looking forward. Let's get going. Let's keep this thing on track. But I think it could get complicated if it's six and six. And there's a, you know, and there's a former alumni that's, you know, crushing it at Jacksonville State and Deion Sanders. That's when things get really complicated. Hopefully we don't have that. Mm. <laughs> Uh, this next question comes from Sparty Gator. Hello, guys. I absolutely love the podcast. It's a great way for me to catch up week to week on what is going on in college football. As someone who grew up in central Illinois, who now lives in Charlotte and is a Gator fan married to a Tide fan, I appreciate the diversified content from everyone's geographic area of expertise. Tom, I'm sure you know this, but if you don't, it would be worth checking out. One of the guys on Brett Bielema's staff is a gentleman by the name of Pat Ryan, who came from my hometown. Pat is a re Pat retired as one of the most decorated high school football coaches in the state and now is in charge of being the liaison between Brett Bielema's program and the high school coaches throughout the state. Also, as a former St. Jude's patient, I appreciate everything you guys are doing to help raise money for the hospital. I'm definitely going to get in on trying to bid for the Pod experience. If I could ever share my St. Jude story or experience to help give the listeners some idea of their what their money is going to, I'd be happy to do it. Now to my question. If Florida beats Utah, will it be considered a huge upset considering Florida is not ranked? Florida is still a slight underdog at home. However, I can't remember if it was Bud or Danny last week who brought this up on one of the episodes. Is Utah fully prepared to play four quarters in the swamp in August? I just feel that if the game is close late in the fourth quarter, Utah won't have enough left in the tank to close out the Gators. If we get the wrap-up show on Saturday night and Florida has beaten Utah, is everyone going to say it's the biggest upset of the weekend? Thanks for all you guys do, and I'm looking forward to the season. Marcus. Hmm. Love it. Love to hear the St. Jude tie in there, too. That's awesome. Um, is it? I don't I think Florida to upset Utah is becoming a pretty trendy pick. Like, like a lot of people are almost expecting this to happen. I know I was with Brady. We were doing our lock show on Tuesdays on CBS Sports HQ. That was his best bet of the week was Florida upsets Utah. I think I've seen some guys on you know SportsCenter and ESPN picking that upset. I think it's absolutely a game that Florida can win. Like We'll do our locks tomorrow. There might be a play on that game. We'll have to see. But I, I And I think it could... You know, and imagine the enthusiasm that'll be around the Florida fan base, which, you know, has been, you know, looking for something to hang on to in the last six months. And it's been a little bumpy ride with some of the collective stuff that's gone on. And where's Billy Napier's head in the game? And why isn't he taking more of a sense of, you know, urgency approach with the recruiting? And man, you talk about winning over a fan base and gaming some enthusiasm. They get that home win. That place is going to be rocking. It, it, no, no doubt about that. But I don't think it's a, a surprise at all if they won the game. Uh, just go back to the beginning of the question, Pat Ryan, I am familiar with. He won a whole lot of games at Metamora before taking, you know, retiring. Uh, as for the question, I it's an upset, not a major upset. It's an upset by definition because Florida is the underdog, but I don't think it's an upset at all if Utah wins this game. It's an SEC team playing at home against a Pac-12 school. And I don't mean that as disrespect to Utah because I'm a big Utah fan and I think Utah is the best team in the Pac-12 and it will win the Pac-12 again this season. 
But if it goes down the road and loses to Florida, even coming off a down season with a first-year head coach, I'm not going to hold that against Utah in any sense because it's still a road game in an SEC stadium against an SEC team. So, no, it's not a major upset. As for the conditions of playing in the swamp, I mean, it's loud, it's going to be hot, and it's going to be hostile. So it's, I, you know, you, Utah is used to playing in front of that at home, maybe not with the same weather, but the fans are on their side in that situation. It's a little different when you're on the road. And it's, you know, so I don't know when you look around the Pac-12, there are some good environments. There are also some terrible road environment, home environments, you know, as far as the atmosphere goes. But it's it's like playing in Oregon. Washington gets very loud. So it's the only thing that's going to be different to me is the weather. I think as far as the atmosphere, it's not going to be something Utah hasn't seen before. It's just, are they going to be able to deal with what's likely to be a hot, humid day? We'll see. They, um, so Utah, did I tell you guys what they've been doing at practice? Like they moved inside. He turned up the heat. He's been trying to like dump water on the field to simulate the humidity. Because mm-hmm. I think Kyle Whittingham knows. I mean, it is going to be a shock to your system when you feel that heat. I was just in Salt Lake City. You guys, I was in Park City. We flew in and out of Salt Lake City. It's hot. So I could see you saying, well, it's 88 here. Like, it's hot. And it humidity. was. Humidity. <laughs> but it's the humidity that does yeah. it to you. And I don't. I, I think they'll be, you know, they'll, they'll have to hydrate. You have to start hydrating, like, the, the day before. And, I mean, I'm, they'll be in shape, but it does kind of sit on you. Here's another thing that's, a, as a quarterback, I couldn't stand early in the season playing in human environments. Your center's butt will be so wet. And soak through. Now, not anybody does that anymore, but like you'd get a snap under center and your hand is soaking and the ball is wet and there's nothing worse than a wet ball. And you'd be like, what is happening? Now you can go out of the shotgun, but even in the shotgun, center's like his head is over the ball and he starts dripping sweat on it. Like those little things. That's swamp butt. Exactly. It is swamp butt. It starts coming to haunt you. So we'll see. I, I think the crowd is one thing. And it it is similar. You like crowd noise is crowd noise. Like no matter where you're, there'll be louder. It'll probably be the loudest place they've ever heard. But you can't hear yourself at Oregon. You can't hear yourself at Washington. I don't think it's that big. Everybody has silent cadence. It's going to be the same disadvantage for your tackles that can't hear the snap out. I think the weather conditions are the by far the most significant challenge Utah Utah has to face. Yeah, crowd noise is crowd noise, but swamp butts for your center is the the <laughs> ultimate thing that you've got to get used to. Swampy, swampy center butts. All right. Yep. This uh, this next question comes from Hawkeye Transplant in Oklahoma. Love the podcast. I've been listening for years. With Iowa's defense once again expected to be one of the better units in 2022, I think it speaks highly of Phil Parker and the job he's done in Iowa City with primarily three-star recruits. Excellent coach draft choice, Chip. If you think about it, is there a coordinator that's meant more to his team than Phil Parker? Iowa's offense, Iowa's offense sure hasn't been the reason for the program's consistency in recent years, but my main question is twofold. One, why does Phil Parker's name never seem to be mentioned when top-tier programs are looking to hire a defensive coordinator? And two, if he were to get lured to a program that recruits defensive talent at, say, a top-five level, how much better would you expect his defenses to be? Or is Iowa's defensive success more predicated on schematics and fundamentals rather than individual talent? Hmm. So the question is, why doesn't he leave and would it be different if he did? 
Yeah, and I think that Jim Knowles is going to be a great like sort of test case here. He wasn't at Oklahoma State as long as Phil Parker has been at Iowa, but we are doing a lot of assuming, me included, mm-hmm. that Jim Knowles is going to pick up Ohio State's defensive talent, and we're going to say, whoa, this is what you could do, and that Phil Parker might have that same kind of impact if he were given Ohio State's defense. Yeah, but of course, the difference is that Jim Knowles has moved around throughout his career. Phil Parker's been at Iowa a very long time. So the question suddenly comes is why does Phil Parker not get mentioned for other elite DC jobs? Maybe Phil Parker doesn't want to leave Iowa. Maybe Phil Parker's pretty happy at Iowa. Things are stable there. I don't know if you've noticed with Kirk Ferentz's coaching staff, they've mostly been there for a very long time. Brian Ferentz, his son, despite I think 90% of the fan base revolting against the Iowa offense last season is still the offensive coordinator. They don't, Ferentz doesn't have to just kind of react and get rid of people. As long as they're doing their job, you're going to be there for a while. And as long as what you're doing, what he wants, you're going to be there for a while. And Parker's defense has been leading the way for that program for a long time. So there's no reason for him to leave, especially if he's happy there. Now, maybe if a certain job came open, I don't know, but I just, if he left in a hypothetical and went to like an Ohio state or a Georgia or a program that has that five-star talent on defense, I don't think, I think it would probably the results probably wouldn't change that much. I think it would just be another really good defense because at that point, when you have that much talent, the scheme doesn't matter that much anymore. Like the more talented your defense is, the less what you're doing matters. The less talented your defense is, the more what you're doing matters. So I think it'd probably still be a good defense. It'd probably still force turnovers because that's kind of what the bread and butter of what they're trying to do is. They try to confuse quarterbacks, make get them to make throws, and then take advantage and pounce. When we talk about greatest head coaches in the game, I think I always try to bring up, like, we forget about the coaches that do more with less. Pat Fitzgerald, prime example, another big, you know, upset win uh, against Nebraska. I think Phil Parker might be one of the most underrated coaches in America, like, as far as assistant coaches. And I think you nailed it, Tom. I mean, some guys, he was a part of Kirk Ferentz's original staff there. Mm -hmm. He's been there the last 20 years. I think he's happy, you know? Like, I think there's value in that. Thank goodness I saw... His Wikipedia page lists his salary at five hundred ninety-five thousand. I was like, "Whoa, he is severely underpaid." He did get up to a million dollars, which he'll make through this season, um, and I think he'll probably be handsomely, you know, another upgrade, another um, raise will come his way after this season too. But I think you always see a sound fundamental team that tackles really well, that is in the right place at the right time. And by the way, they also put some talent in the NFL yes. too. Like, And you develop that talent. So I think all of it is a tribute to the job that he's done. And Kirk Ferentz too is a program, you know, just developing guys, you know, and, and bringing in three and four stars and develop them into NFL talent speaks to the job they do as coaches. Yeah, and, and they get, I mean, they do get their share of four and five-star guys, but they really do, like, they, they've sent a ton of three-star guys to the NFL, and they do it with regularity. And going back, I mean, Parker played at Michigan State. He was a defensive back, by the way, which helps explain, you know, why their defensive secondary is usually so good, and so much of the defense is kind of focused on what they do back there. So maybe if Michigan State opened, he would take the head coaching job there at the alma mater one day, but I don't know that that even appeals to him that much, honestly. Isaac Terry did have a great comment in the chat. Making 500000 in Iowa City is like two mil nearly anywhere else. Definitely cost of living, probably a little bit better than Mario Cristobal's half. You notice the logo? You notice the logo on Isaac's avatar there? <laughs> Iowa State. <laughs> yeah. He's not afraid to take a shot at Iowa City, which is a place you could have a lot of fun, my friends. Yep. Oh, 
I need to make a trip. Yeah. Have, have you ever been, Danny? No, but I have heard outstanding things about Iowa City being a great town. They know how to have some fun. They love their beer and alcohol mm-hmm. and just a very welcoming environment. You know, fun time. Food and frivolity. I mean, just look at Chris Hassel. Look at our very own Chris yeah. Hassel. I mean, it's getting better than that. Chris will be so excited. And we got to give some love to Iowa City here today. <laughs> He's one wild and crazy guy. <laughs> Watch out. Uh, this next question comes from Chris, though I don't think it's Hassel. Is Chris in Colorado. Love the pod. You guys are my workout partners every night and have been for several years. Well, you can try the bike and tread risk-free at onepeloton.com, Chris, if you want to upgrade that workout regimen. Uh, no other college football podcast can touch you guys. Here's my question. With networks paying big bucks for college football inventory and wanting as much as they can get, why is the Sunday and Monday of Labor Day weekend so underutilized? It seems like several of the Saturday games each year could be moved to spread out over Sunday and Monday and get much better ratings than buried among 10 other games in the Saturday time slot. Is there something that I'm missing? Shut up, Chris. We're trying to allow us to have a damn weekend. All right, Jesus. It's a holiday weekend. Let us be free. We have to sit there. We've got football all night on Thursday, all night on Friday. Then we've got 13 hours of it on Saturday. And Chris is out here like, why not give him an extra 10 hours to work on Sunday and Monday, too? But he brings up a great point. And I am shocked it hasn't happened yet. I mean, look at how week zero has grown. And we talked about that. All of a sudden, we had 11 Mm -hmm. games this past weekend. And we saw some conference matchups. Somebody's going to see this. Like, I don't think the networks have an embargo. I don't. They might. I mean, with the way the draft picks and the negotiations work, ESPN, ABC might own those days. But if they don't, I'd be shocked if it doesn't happen. I know there probably would be some pushback from the coaches. Hey. That's yeah, why I, I think the reason that we don't see more games on Sunday and Monday is because coaches have told their athletic directors, who've told the conference commissioners, who've told the networks, like, yeah, we'll, we already, you know, bend our schedule around your television stuff a lot. Don't, don't do this to our team at the very, very beginning of the season. You know, the, to do more team, more Sunday, more Monday, throw the schedule off, have it impact your week two. If you can't schedule like an FCS game for the short week turnaround, then we don't want to do it. I think that coaches are what's standing in the way. And I will say that we've had Labor Day weekend Sundays, not Mondays, but we've had Labor Day weekend Sundays that have had multiple games. This year we just have one, but we have had years where there's been an afternoon game as well. I don't think we've ever had four games on a Sunday, but it would not surprise me again if the like you mentioned Danny if the TV networks happen to draw it up so that it works that we might see more than one game on that Sunday especially now that the NFL has cut its preseason and there's like nothing else that you're going to be showing but i think the reason we don't see more of Sunday and Monday Labor Day is that the coaches want to keep this thing as close to the the schedule that you are trying to implement for your team this is what we do on Monday. This is what we do on Tuesday. This is what these days mean. This is what you're supposed to be doing. I think it is the routine of the famously maniacal college football coaches that prevent us from doing a full uh, a full Labor Day weekend blowout into Sunday and Monday. And I also think too, like 
you could probably put a couple games on on Sunday afternoon. And if you put games on Labor Day in the day, like it's a football game on television in America, so people will watch it. But I don't think the ratings for a day game on Labor Day would be great. I think you kind of just want to limit that to prime time as the festivities are winding down and people are heading inside and getting ready to get back to work on Tuesday. Also, like you mentioned, Chip, like Clemson and Georgia Tech are playing on Monday. And then they're turning around and both playing again on Saturday against FCS opponents. So it's like for all the if you put multiple games on Monday, that's going to lead to a whole hell of a lot of teams playing FCS opponents or taking buys in week two, which does that trade off work for networks? Because nobody's going to be watching Georgia Tech versus Western Carolina or Clemson versus who Samford. I can't remember who they're playing, but yeah. That's uh, I believe that Jeff Collins played at Western Carolina. Rivalry game, baby. Catamounts in town. Collins, he might, maybe he's auditioning for a job. <laughs> uh, all right. Now it is time for the game show that is set to sweep the nation. And depending on how this goes, maybe it'll have its own theme song. So, Tom, why don't you introduce the game show as we prepare to play Where He Been? Actually, Chip, the, the game is called Where He Been. Where He Been. So, <laughs> where He Been. Um, this is a game idea that I stole from another podcast called The Football Ramble, but I'm sure they stole it from another, somebody else because all game shows are pretty much the same thing, reformatted a thousand different ways. But here's the basic premise, and I'm going to have to rely on both of you who are sitting at a computer screen not to cheat. So I'd like to see hands in the air the entire game. <laughs> but also, <laughs> listeners, people viewing us live right now, don't. Don't spoil it in the comments. Don't oh, yeah. Help me out. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. Don't. But here, here's the premise of the game. I am going to name a college football coach. I'm going to tell you how many schools that or places that coach has coached. It could be college. It could be NFL. It could be an assistant. It could be oh, the head coach. No. Okay. And then the two of you are going to bid on how many schools you can name where that coach has been. And say, Chip, if I give you a coach and you bid three. Danny, you then have the option to outbid him and go to four, or you could say do it. If Chip does it, he gets a point. If he doesn't, you get the point. Three coaches, two points wins. If somebody sweeps, we'll still do the third coach just because it helps fill time. So, Chip, as the regular host, I'm going to concede to you the first choice. Our first coach, and where he been, is Ohio State coach Ryan Day. And I probably shouldn't have said that Ohio State part, but I feel like you're both going to get that one right. So whatever. Ryan Day has coached at seven different places. How many of them do you think you can name? I bid four. Four. Danny, do you match? Do you want to go to five or are you going to let him prove it? So I'd have to say five to beat him. Yeah. And if you get it prove wrong, it. he would then get the point. Prove it. All right, Chip. Prove name it. your four. Ohio State? Correct. The Philadelphia Eagles? Correct. Boston College? Correct. New Hampshire? Correct. Man. Bang, four. The Where are the places, others? The seven places overall are New Hampshire, Boston College. He was at Florida. He was at Temple. He was with the Eagles. He was with the 49ers after the Eagles. And then he took over the Ohio State job. So, Chip, that is a point for you. He was Damn. a New Hampshire quarterback, smart. I believe, yeah. for Under Chip, Chip Kelly. Kelly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, Danny, now it's your turn. Our next coach is Kirby Smart, who has coached at six schools. So, Danny, where he been? 
I'll go three. <laughs> three. Chip, can you beat that? I think I can match. No, you got to beat it. Oh, yeah, I can beat it. I can go four. Oh, Dan, are you going to go five? No. <laughs> All right, Chip, name four. Okay. Here we go. LSU. Bing. Miami Dolphins. Two. Alabama. Three. And Georgia. Four. Oh, yeah, three with Saban. And then Chip uh, with the clean sweep. Georgia. Do you know who, any guesses as to what the other two jobs are? Is it Valdosta State or something? There's like five, that? but what's yeah. the sixth? Wow. Danny, you should know the sixth, Danny. He was not at Florida State, was he? He was at Florida State. <laughs> what year? What year was he at Florida State with Jimbo? Uh, let me look it up real quick because I don't have it right Jeez. in front of me. Yeah, no, he coached at Florida State in. Well, no wonder he's done such a great job. 2000, 2003. As it, 2002, 2003, he's a grad assistant. That's where he went from Valdosta wow. State. Yep. Mm -hmm. Wow. That was when I was in the NFL and didn't pay attention at all to any college football whatsoever. I was just oh. trying to keep a job. I was in the NFL. Excuse. <laughs> Sorry. I was too busy being an NFL quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> that right, would have been really bad dana said danny was the qb that would have been really bad i don't know if i can name all the gas but that would have made me look really bad if he was actually on the staff when i was there i missed him by a few years thankfully that would have been awful so right. hold so, on a quick sidebar jimbo has his was jimbo at valdosta too or was he at samford he might have been at samford right there's some there's the Valdosta, Samford, there was some connection, and maybe even Ballard. research for future editions of the game, Chip. Oh! <laughs> I know what you're doing. You're trying to get a head start on next week's Where He Been. All right. So, <laughs> Chip, you win, this. you win the inaugural, but... Let's keep playing, yeah. Let's, we one got more. one more There's left. 10-year window I blanked on college football, so it's not fair. Well, don't worry. This next coach is not in either of your windows. Okay. Bear Bryant... Coached oh. at eight different schools. Chip, how many of them can you name? I bid three. Three. Daniel, can you match that I'll or go, get to four? I'll go four. Oh, Chip, are you going to go five? Prove it. All right. <laughs> name All four right. schools where, where Bear Bryant been. Kentucky. One. Texas A&M. Two. Bama. Three. And now it gets tricky. <laughs> oh, if I guess wrong, do I get another guess? No, you lose. I can't rattle off. Shoot, you got to know where he been. I didn't know this aspect. I just looked it up because he won. Oh, this is killing me. Do, 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 just do, looked do, this up. Do, do, do. What conference was it in? I'm not giving you hints. You got 10 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> Mississippi State, that's a total of Danny loses. Good. I love the fight, though. I love that you went for it. Yeah. All right. So you got Alabama, you got Kentucky, you got Texas A&M. The other schools. He Which started, he won at every one, by the way. Mm -hmm. He started his career at Union as an assistant in 1936. He spent one season at Union. Then he went on to Alabama for five years as an assistant. And after that, he took the Barton Simmons route. Went to Vanderbilt for two seasons where he was an assistant. And then this is what I love about like old timey, like pre-World War II football. 
He spent a season at Georgia pre-flight in 1942. <laughs> spent a season at North Carolina pre-flight in 1944. And then his first head coaching job, 1945, at Maryland. One God. season. Then he took the Kentucky job. That took him to Texas A&M. And then he went to Alabama, which is where he finished his coaching career. Mm. Would you have had the four? Would, could you have gone four? No, that's why I said three. Yeah. I can only do three. See, the Maryland, I, I, I knew nobody was going to get the pre-flight ones. The question was, <laughs> was anybody going to remember that he started at Maryland for a year? And I didn't think anybody would. What was his but, record? Uh, let me check. He went... <laughs> In I'm still not season, using my my typing fingers. Went six two and one, I'm three and two in the Southern Conference. So Chip, congratulations on winning the inaugural edition in a blowout. Where he been? My, I, like I, I might have gotten North Carolina pre-flight, but it somehow gets a little bit mixed up because uh, prior to, like, do you know who was the head coach at Alabama before um, Bear Bryant? Oh, it was, uh, oh, God, not off the top of my head. I believe it was Wallace Wade who was left it? Alabama to go be the head coach at Duke. All <laughs> to get his name on the stadium. That's always, what him away. That was a few years earlier. Okay. Wallace right. Wade was at Alabama from 23 to 30. Then it was Chicago White Sox Hall of Famer Frank Thomas from 1931 to 1946, followed by Harold Drew from 47 to 54. Then Jennings B. Whitworth, which is a name that sounds like he should be coaching at North Carolina, but no, he was at Alabama for three seasons. And then that Bear or Bear Bryant guy took over for him after he went. Do you want to know what, what Jennings B. Whitworth's record was at Alabama in three yes. seasons? Four and 24 and two. <laughs> mm. Do you think, do you think a coach would be able to lose 24 games with only four wins in Alabama these days? Like <laughs> Jennings Whitworth got three seasons going four and 24. <laughs> so I don't have, I don't want to single out specifically Willie Taggart or Chad Morris. So I call that getting Morris Taggarted. When you get <laughs> in your second season. Yeah. Chad, Chad Morris and Willie Taggart did not make it to the end of their second season at Arkansas and Florida State. And that was when I knew that the game had changed for hot seats. They'll run you out of town that quick. Love the game, Tom. Um, it was a good we, game. Yeah, it's a very good game. We will definitely, definitely do that again tomorrow. Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Week one locks. Come and hang out and watch it live. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Hit the bell for notifications so that you can get a reminder right to your device. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you.
Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of colors starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.